You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, L-O-T-R, colon, R-O-T-K edition. Talking about Return of the King. I'm Jake. No, wow. (laughs) (laughs) What's up, Jake? (laughs) Shtick that it's weird when your brain messes up. I am Nathan. That's Jake. I'm sorry if you're confused now for the rest of the podcast. How does Jake sound? I sound like this. This is what I sound like. He sounds like that. I... Nathan Aaron Alberson, your humble and obedient host, sound like this. I remember seeing Return of the King, I think at a midnight showing, and I remember kind of being disappointed by it back in the day. Like, I think when Fellowship first came out, I think I was a little snobby, like, not the book. And then Two Towers actually won me over with the Battle of Helm's Deep and stuff like that. But I also think Fellowship, this was like the era of the $2 movie theater in my town. And like, I saw that thing. I saw both those movies so many times. And then I bought the extended edition DVDs and stuff. So I was like really brainwashed myself into loving the Peter Jackson stuff just because it was so ubiquitous in my life. And then Richard and the King came along. And I remember being just a little bit let down by it in the theater. I've since appreciated it many times on home media. I think it's pretty good, I think. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Two Towers tops the list on Rotten Tomatoes, Return of the King is second, and Fellowship is last. Yeah, I think that's what we discovered. Both critics and audience scores reflect that. I think we disagree with that fundamentally. We think that Fellowship, far and away... Far and away is the best. The best. Yeah. In, In some ways, you could argue the good one. Yeah. It actually works and holds together as a movie. Yep. These other two, not as much. That was my initial reaction on Return of the King. I remember being disappointed by, and I'm going to have some nicer things to say later on, but I'll start with what I was just, I was disappointed by Denethor. Don't know that I've ever really revised that opinion. The battle sequences I thought were cool, but it was just like so many of them. And then as everyone and their mother has said, a lot of endings. So it just felt kind of long and a little bit deflating like it had a lot of cool stuff but well was it everything i hoped and dreamed no this was the culmination of my so i saw the midnight showing of return of the king and i saw it after having been introduced to the lord of the rings as a world earlier that same day and so i remember loving the whole Mm -hmm. working through fellowship and two towers And then seeing Return of the King, yeah, getting emotional, probably crying, and also being baffled by how many times it ended. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Because I didn't know. I didn't know the story. I didn't know what was going to happen. I had no idea. Sam and Frodo are going to die on this rock, Mm -hmm. and this is how the movie is going to end. Oh, the eagles are coming. Okay. Oh, we get the happy ending in, is that Rivendell? I can't quite tell. I don't know. Uh, Oh, Okay good ending no you bow to no man okay great great oh no we're back in the shire oh no frodo is leaving oh well that's definitely the ending oh no sam's walking home now (laughs) and by that time you've just given up on the movie ever ending yeah it is weird i mean peter jackson is i think it's just an example of his general tastelessness he is weirdly tone deaf to the moments where you're going to get a bad laugh because everyone assumed it was an ending. Like how many times can you fade slowly to black or fade slowly to white yeah, and then slowly fade back up again? I mean, it's there's, there's almost like he was having fun with us or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like there's a way to pack that many endings in and make it 
not feel so silly. There's something wrong with the execution there. Like nobody complains in Avengers Endgame when we spend a lot of time at Tony's funeral and right find out what happened to Cap and stuff like that. Like, do people complain reading the books about? I mean, I did a little bit when I was a kid. It does go on for a bit after that ring is destroyed. But reading as an adult, there's a lot of cool stuff, and even yeah. the stuff that's kind of boring. Like, I will show you this tree, Aragorn, is interesting on some some level some yeah. meta tolkien level that sounds like a magical way to experience the trilogy though it I, was I, pretty magical uh, i don't begrudge you that i think it'd be fun a fun way to do it maybe maybe i'll one day i'll introduce my kids to lord of the rings that way maybe i'll never maybe i won't even tell them it's a book i can do whatever i want i can you trick can. them you can into you can try at least i can try yeah you're gonna have kids spoil it for you. Yeah, it's enough. There's always a, that kid. Enough of a cultural property these days. I suppose they will talk about it. There's always that kid who watched Lord of the Rings when they were four, and hey, I know you're reading this book with your family, but the Frogman bites off his finger. I feel like this is born out of personal experience, and and not just yep. a random hypothetical example, Jake. You'd be right. <laughs> the <laughs> one, the one kid that would that cared the most about not being spoiled had it spoiled for him. By a friend who saw it when he was like five. You know what we should do? We should, hear me out, bite off that kid's finger. Oh, yeah. That'll teach him. Yeah. It'd be better if we had a frogman do it, though. Yeah, let's get a frogman. We'll have him bite off that kid's finger and then jump into some lava. That'd be great. All right. It's a plan. Problem we'll, solved. Let's make this happen. Yeah. Speaking of make things, thinking things happen, I'm trying to be better about this. So let's go ahead and do our patron choice award of awesomeness right now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> before, we, before we get into the meat of return of the king you know who i think should be king because they're so awesome jake who's that then they don't need to return or anything because i don't think they've ever really gone away it's it's jay jay yeah like will smith and the in men in black well i think he'd agent, make a, agent jay i think he'd make a good king but i also think jay our patron oh jay the patron the person i was talking about the letter J or like the name J. the name J J A Y. oh he's i'm so shocked He's an awesome. Yeah, it's, it's he 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 wasn't going under some kind of covert <laughs> code or something like that. Uh, this would not be the same Jay as the Jay who also belongs to Katie and is cold and loves cheese, and also C.S. Lewis, including till we have faces from the bookening. Would it? You know, actually, no. <laughs> huh? Cool. It's a different Jay. Um, awesome. But I think you do know this Jay. So many J's out there. There's a lot of J's, and they love our products, apparently. J's are awesome. My mm -hmm. name starts with J. Yep. I have no J's in any of my names, but I'm planning on changing my name and adding a J. It'll just be Why like one of, those, one of those, it'll be like Fajord. It'll <laughs> have, a, have a J, a silent J silent in there. Silent J's, yeah. So J, you're a great patron, and we choose you, and you are awarded the Award of Awesomeness look in the mail for coupons. That probably don't look in the mail for coupons. Uh, I mean, I think it's a pretty safe bet that he can look in the mail for, mail for coupons. It's not from us. Yeah, no, they won't be from us. Yeah, but yeah, you can look in the mail for all. the No, coupons I was just you giving want. you some good advice. Like it's generally, if you want coupons, you could do worse than checking your mailbox, or just don't bother. It's up to you, really. Yeah, I'm authorizing you if you want. Like if you, really you have, have hereby been authorized to check your mail for coupons, Jay. You got a hankering for Culvers and a Culvers in your town? Check your mail. I bet they sent you some coupons. You know who I'm positive has sent you coupons in the last six months? Arby's. 
Arby's likes to send out their coupons. They send out coupons. Well, they're a slightly overpriced place for what you get, so they need those coupons. Must. It's one of the more attractive. Uh, their coupons usually aren't that great, but it's the idea of using coupons for Arby's is an attractive idea because Arby's is always, I'd say, a dollar or two more than you actually want to spend. Like you should pay for something so bad. Yeah. Like you go to Arby's, it's it's one of the ultimate places where you're like, for this amount of money, I could have gone somewhere good, actually. Why am I why am I here? Why am I here at Arby's? I could you know be what like else is it. like that? What's that? Panda Express. Folks, there was just a long silence because I was I was so shocked by the idea that Panda Express would even be a thing that would come up. Like, why does anyone go to Panda? I've never understood. Because I went it. yesterday. I went to Panda Express yesterday. Were you like trapped on an island where the only thing to eat was Panda Express? No, I drove by about four Chinese restaurants, every fast food option that you can imagine, and some really great restaurants to get to Panda Express yesterday. Were you meeting somebody at Panda Express? No, I I thought I wanted Panda Express. I went and I paid $12 for fake Chinese buffet food when I could have probably paid 6 or $8 at an actual Chinese buffet. Yeah, and it would have been... And it would have been five times better. I could have gone to Arby's and paid $12 for slightly better trash. I mean, I would have spent $9. Yeah, that's a bummer of a move, man. It, it was just, it was a dumb move. You know, I was... I, I understand sometimes you get a craving, like, uh, twice a year, I feel you know like going to Long Gun Silver's I wanted to go to a Chinese buffet, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to pick... I didn't want the hassle of being in a buffet. I didn't want the hassle of going into a Chinese buffet place and not knowing, like sometimes you go into a new Chinese buffet. I want somebody to tell me what the Chinese buffet to go to is. I don't want to be like, I don't know where, and I want them to take me there because I don't want to go into a Chinese buffet and be confused about what I do and who I talk and do I pay first or do I pay later and all those things can happen at any Chinese buffet you walk into because... It is a recipe for a social disaster, walking into a Chinese buffet. Yeah, I, and who wants to waste that time and feel awkward? When I can just go to Panda Express and get Chinese buffet food and I can get three different dishes, I can get it in the drive through Well, by the way, that is a feeling worth avoiding. I, I remember the first time I ate at Subway. I was 10 or something. I hadn't managed to go to a Subway. How so, does Subway work? Yeah, well, I, I, I didn't just do that, Jake. That would have been one level of embarrassment, but I went one step further in the chain of great subway shame, thought that I knew how it worked. So I walked up there confidently and was like, I'll have this sandwich and some chips and a drink. And then the lady was like, you you get the chips and drink down there and this is how it works. And my friends were like already sitting down and they, la- they laughed at me. Yeah. Yeah, I could still actually. I'm I'm not doing it right now, but I could probably still make myself blush. It's like one of those things that doesn't sound that bad, but it felt. That I felt bad. like quite yeah. the fool. <laughs> 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 you wish your dad could just take you aside and say, "Son, this is how Subway works." <laughs> Before you go in there, you <laughs> don't, need to know you don't want to screw like... this up. <laughs> About twelve things in life you need to understand. Like, here's how you change a tire. Here's, here's how, how you, you order tie a sub- tie, and here's how you order, <laughs> order a subway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I, yeah. So I just didn't want that. I really, I find that no place has weirder unwritten rules than. Chinese buffets and each one is their own special thing. And the, and maybe it's just the language barrier. I don't want to be accused of racism or anything, but I always feel a lot of silent judgment if yeah. I get anything 
wrong in yeah. a place like that. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm a dumb, fat American that just didn't understand. And if I had had more time, I don't think I would have been all that bothered by braving something like that. Or if I had somebody to, to meet, you know, and go mm-hmm. hang out. So I drove by a whole bunch of stuff and went to Panda Express. And safe to say I won't be making that mistake again anytime in the near future. Mm-hmm. But who's to say? The entire business model of a place like that is predicated on the fact that everybody makes that mistake once or twice a year. Yep, exactly right. I mean, what is Long John Silver's and but a place where people pull up, make a mistake, swear never to do that again. And a couple of years later, make oh, that could, same mistake I could really again. go for some, <laughs> <laughs> some botulism and <laughs> gas right now. <laughs> Long John Silver's is so stupid. Like, why does that place exist? And yet, here we are. Discussing Return of the King. Yeah. <laughs> well, why does Sauron exist? It's because we allowed it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> the same reason Panda Express exists. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's talk about this movie. So you had a really good first experience with this movie. I had kind yeah. of a crummy one. Well, uh, you know, zero expectations, no nostalgia, no buildup, no mm. nothing. It's all just new to me. Yeah. Even the whole like n- world of nerddom mm. and fantasy is fresh and new. It would be overstating it to call it an awakening, but mm. it was something like an awakening. Uh, uh, oh, this is this stuff that I wrote, wrote off as being stupid is actually really cool and fun. And, you know, it was a really overwhelming sort of thing too. I'd only been a believer for what, when did Return of the King come out? Uh, 2003, I believe. Okay. I'd been a believer for one or two years mm-hmm. at that point. It's all those metaphors. All the metaphors are just like hard. hitting me hard. Mm-hmm. It's just like, wow, like metaphors for sin and uh, sin's hold on your life and metaphors for, ju- and, and just the black versus white, the good versus evil, doing the right thing in the face of the impossible odds of it all, like all of that, like the ring bearer, the all the sort of symbolism that's not allegory, but felt deeply Christian mm-hmm. was just all of it's hitting me. So yeah, I just, it was overwhelming and wonderful and I loved it. Well, and probably, hopefully this isn't condescending to say your ignorance was a blessing in this particular case, because there's a whole lot of things that don't make that much sense about what Jackson does that you could just assume, oh, well, if I knew a little bit more, that right. would all make sense. I guess yeah. Theoden's acting this way because I should read the book. Yeah, You read the book and you realize, oh, it's, he's Jackson screwed it up and right. these characters are being weird and these politics don't really make sense. But there was a lot that you could just, you would never think not to forgive. Right. Because. Yeah, I think that's very true. I mean, and my friends were making it very clear, like, you know, these are big books. There's a lot cut out. You know, there's so many places. It's rich. You got to go back and read it. So, like, I'm in that space of just like, okay, I get it. Like, if I don't understand, it's probably my fault. Like, yeah, you know, makes you more forgiving for a lot of like Jackson's going to have Theoden for some stupid reason, not want to support Gondor I've, I've for a no while. No standards for fantasy. Right. I have no knowledge of these books experiencing it all in one sitting. So I'm not even, I don't have a lot of time to process it. Only the broadest sweep. Yeah, it's all the, yeah, it's just the broadest stuff. And then all these, you know, metaphors and all the symbolism is hitting me on this uh, cathartic emotional level the whole time. That's where I processed the movie was really just in a pretty real visceral, personal sort of way anyway. And less even as as a movie or a work of art, but just as a great story that 
really resonated with with me and my life. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we should fast forward to now. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. How did how did it hold up? <laughs> you know, um, so I watched it with my older kids because we did read through the books together as a family. Although I let the older kids, you know, often we put the, old, the the younger kids in bed or whatever. But you had to have been able to be a part of uh, listening to the books to watch the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so watch it with my older kids. It was good watching it with my older kids because it it made me appreciative and generous again with how clunky it is. Right. Because I mean that movie is just payoff after payoff after payoff after payoff after payoff, and it's ham fisted and I. I cannot tell you how much I hate by the time I'm into this third movie, every single slow motion for um, emotion's sake, every time we're going to just zoom up and see somebody eat, whether it's Smeagol eating gross fish with his gross teeth yeah. or Denethor, it's like, ugh, Jackson, why would you do that? Jackson what is, is wrong just with you? a vulgar... Man, and not not in like the sinful sense, that sense too, but yeah. he's also just like, he doesn't ha- bring great taste to like- It's just gross. There's a way to show emotion yeah. that actually can be more emotional. It's actually more emotional to keep a little distance as opposed to like slowing it down and zooming in real tight. It's like, that doesn't, A, it's tasteless because it's giving you more than what I think you should even want. B, it's- it doesn't actually feel as emotional. In real life, I don't get up two inches from you while you're crying. Yeah. I sit across the table from you while you're crying, and that's how I try and comfort you. You know, it's yeah. like real real life actually isn't as intimate as some of these ridiculous slow-mo yeah. thing. Anyway. But anyhow, so I'm ready to just be like, I am so over all of it. And at this point, Minas Tirith, the oh, brother is just like laugh if i was in the theater when i if i if i was as familiar with the books and i had space between the movies i would have laughed when gandalf pulled up and said minister i could have predicted i could have said it out loud in the theater right them, right city like, of king and it's like we've already for one thing i mean we've already, we've made fun of this before like you don't stand outside of the place you've just arrived at and declare loudly what it is and what its main <laughs> attributes are. But also, I, I always wonder, like, how do you time that? Somehow these characters wait until they're positioned in the most scenic yeah. place with, like, the whole vista right in front of them. You know, have you ever been to D.C.? Like, no matter where you stand, you can see the White House because it's so big. It's looming in your vision. Minas Tirith would have been a they would have been seeing that thing for miles. miles. Day. Uh, yeah, day, it's like a couple days, days ride, yeah. maybe. And he's going to stop now. Say, ah, City of Kings. Or whatever, yeah. yeah. But anyhow, all of that is me building up to say, uh, watching it with my kids, that movie hit hard. And all that ham-fisted stuff, you know, you, you just remember and think, this is for kids. But you don't want it to be. But if you think this is, and, you know, the amount of, awfulness you know crass you know heads chopped off and yeah it's like way too violent for kids yeah it didn't really need to be yeah the crass violence keeps it from being for kids but the ham-fistedness of it really does work well for kids Mm -hmm. kids are simple and the simple straightforward sincerity of the way he hits each of the the beats and the payoffs and the emotional payoffs really hit my kids hard I don't know that I've had more epic crying and sobbing 
in a movie or a book or anything that we've hit so far as a family as the end of Peter Jackson's Return of the King. I just don't think anything's quite hit like that for them. Nothing that I can think of. I mean, we had tears earlier in other parts of Lord of the Rings. We had tears in The Hobbit when we read The Hobbit. We had tears with Charlotte's Web. Just trying to think. Tears in The Clone Wars and various Star Wars things. Thanks to The Clone Wars, Return of the Jedi is one of the saddest movies ever for Mm -hmm. my kids. None of it, none of it hit the way End of Return of the King hit. That's fascinating. And just hit them over and over and over and over again. Broke down every one of their defenses. And I put them in bed and they were all heaving into their pillows. They were wrecks. So. It works. It worked. I'll give Jackson that. It worked. It worked. It was effective for my kids. From the time Theoden died to the end, my kids' hearts were on their sleeves. Mm -hmm. And Theoden didn't make them all cry, but Theoden primed the pump. Right. Yeah. They're just ready for it, you know? I may not be able to carry the ring, Mr. Frodo, but I can carry you. The first audible sob I really got was there on the rock, and Frodo's imagining the grass and the shire. Mm -hmm. And then Sam says, Rosie Cotton, Mm. with flowers in her hair. If ever there was a woman I was to marry, it would have been her. And then I'd skip this, like, they lose it. (laughs) They've they've fallen in love with Sam, and Sam's there, and Sam's crying, and Sam's, and they just can't handle it. And they can't handle it from then on out. (sighs) Well, that is good good to remember. It's a good object lesson. But yeah, so I'm with it. Like, and I'm there with my kids. Makes a difference. It makes a difference. I might have teared up or whatever at various points. I think my kids helped me to not just be like, oh my goodness. This is ridiculous. This is insane. Mm-hmm. This is just so over the top and so just like, it's working so hard to play me. Grow up, Jackson. Mm-hmm. But if he grew up, maybe it wouldn't have slapped my kids so hard. So I don't know. Well, it might not have, but. It would have been I, a better movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It would pay off more for my kids 10 years from now. Well, that's what I want to say. Like, in The Art of Seduction, you can kiss the girl. That's that's one thing to do. Or you can make the girl want to kiss you. That's another thing you can do. Or you can make the girl want to kiss you, and then you kiss the girl. And I think that's the sweet spot. People haven't figured out my metaphor. Jackson just goes in for the kiss. He's just going to play you. He's going to ravage your emotions. He's going to slow it down and speed it up and do whatever he can. There's nothing delicate about it. There's nothing that asks anything of you. There's no dance. Yeah, there's no dance. He's not allowing you to bring your own. He's not saying two plus two, two plus two, two plus two. He's saying four, 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 four. four. Did you get it? Four. Yeah. Two plus two equals four. How many times do I have to say it, idiot? Four. I just always think of the first of the two Deadly Hollows movies as a comparison point. And I really like the first of the two Deadly Hollows movies. And I like the scene. Deathly, sorry. As you see, I'm not a big Harry Potter nerd, I guess. But apparently I am. But I love the. Yeah, you because knew, I know the you, title you, of the you book. Deathly Hollows <laughs> nerd. <laughs> I flashed to two scenes. I flashed to a scene that I think they made up for the movie where uh, they, dance. they dance. And that's just a very sweet, the camera's just kind of held back. It's very mm-hmm. quiet. 
it makes you want it makes the girl kiss you if you're 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 the girl and the storyteller is the man in this metaphor people aren't getting it and the storytelling is the girl well you want to you want to kiss them they've aroused these feelings in you by just standing back and doing something and let it you bring your own memories of dances you've had of moments of intimacy you've had of in your affection for these characters effect- as we are coming down to the end game yeah and it's really sweet and it's really subtle and it gives you two it gives you two and two and lets you make four and it's much more powerful than i'd say anything in the lord of the rings movies there's another random moment in that at the end of that movie where bellatrix lestrange is torturing hermione and they just mm-hmm. stand outside the room if i remember it correctly and you just hear Emma Watson screaming yep. as the bad guy is doing whatever she's doing. And the fact is, hearing a young woman scream like that is really sickening. It's really evil. You you don't like it. Like, it really plays on you. Now, you imagine Jackson would have had special effects and he would have had, like, the bad guy going, Rah! and he would have zoomed in in slow motion as, you know, Hermione went, ah! and you know, he would have played that to the rafters and it wouldn't have been nearly as effective as just hanging back, letting Emma Watson pretend to be in pain. Yeah, I mean, that w- she does that. We bring all of our own moments that we've been in pain or moments that a sibling or a child has been in pain. And it just, <sighs> there's the version where you make the girl want to kiss you, you know, where you're just really subtle. You do two and two. That's some of my favorite and you let the audience make for. That's some of my favorite kind of filmmaking. I think for children's filmmaking or for, these kinds of stories you kind of want to meet halfway you know i I think like that's what a great disney film does yeah that's exactly what i was thinking is like it go it goes ahead and it creates the longing and then it goes ahead and get and it gives it to you right and there's enough space that's what every disney climax does yeah and i think animation lends itself to automatically removing you a little bit you know it becomes iconography in such a way that you can bring a little bit of your own feeling to it like we were talking about with the Harry Potter movies, just simply because it's animated. So mm-hmm. Belle becomes every woman. She's not a specific woman. But also I think Disney and Pixar and people like that, they know when to hang back a little bit and let you make sense of it and bring some of your own emotion to it. They also know when to just hit you in the gut with something yeah. like the grandmother remembering the song and mm-hmm. Coco or yep. the death of Bing Bong or... <laughs> I mean, one of the scenes that I love the most in Pixar and kind of hate the most is the famous tear-jerking moment. And I've never gotten past it, actually. I've never watched anything but the first 10 minutes of Up because that is an assault. And I love it. I mean, it works. It's very effective. I also resent it a little bit. How dare you guys? Well, part of the how dare you is you thought you could do this in the opening 10 minutes of this movie and then therefore kind of coast. Yeah, coast off of that and have my heart for the rest of the movie and just have me primed to give myself to it. That's what I'd, I've never appreciated about up. Yeah, I mean, like, it turns out you can. They get away with it. It is, it is, it is that sort of old school movie conceit. Harrison Ford is just going to come out, grab you, kiss you, and then you're just supposed to fall head over heels for him because he kissed you. Mm-hmm. It's like, well... It's not usually it's how not seduction usually how actually works. works. Yeah, That's a... George Lucas, Steven Spielberg fantasy, but that's mm. not necessarily... It's nice for the men in the audience to think that's how it works. Maybe, maybe it's nice for the women to think that's how it works, but... It's it, not always how it works. It how it always works. So, Peter Jackson is an aggressively... Uh, what's the word? Uh, 
He wants he's to. He's an aggressor. He's an aggressor. Yeah, he's aggressive um, in the way that he goes yeah. for your emotions, and it does work for kids. I think. I mean, you could you could go so far as to say he's manipulative, but I mean, we've said before that there's a degree to which using the word manipulative in terms of films not or even art's not helpful because every great art is manipulative. It's just a matter of whether it, it's, if if your definition of manip- manipulative is it's playing on your emotions, then well, that's just the definition. Well, a typical scene that I think sucks in this movie is when Frodo first first wakes up after his near-death experience and all the characters are just laughing in slow motion Mm. as they jump on the bed. It's like, this is joyful! (laughs) Do you really not trust Ian McKellen to be able to just play joy without slow motion, without a big dorky close-up on his face, like without the music? Like, Don't you think if you just had a wide shot I mean, you're never going to do it this simply, but don't you actually think you could just have a wide shot where these people walked into the room and hugged each other and these actors could just do it? They could just sell the whole thing. And that's where I don't know exactly how to quantify the difference between good manipulative and bad manipulative. Good manipulative, whatever word you want to use for it, good playing of your emotions, it trusts you and it respects you. Mm -hmm. It makes good use of your emotions. And it's respectful of them. And it's not that it doesn't bring you to tears, but it sort of, it works with you to bring you to tears. And yeah, it's not exploiting. It's not exploiting you. Whereas a schmaltzy commercial for a cheeseburger that makes you cry because they throw a disabled child in there, say, we all resent that because we feel. It feels exploited. Yeah. And it's not because we aren't exploited. It's not because, you know, oftentimes with things like that. they 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 didn't ask and they didn't give a choice and they didn't. It let you know they didn't signal anything they just it was a sneak attack yeah i was watching football and enjoying the super bowl with my friends and i didn't ask for this yeah suddenly i'm supposed to feel bad about everyone having a hard time in africa for example and therefore i'm supposed to buy burger king right <laughs> well i think probably our our, our tenant review has come out uh, by the time that this comes out we will talk about some of that in tenant jake hasn't seen it though so i won't say anything else for more discussion of that Listen to our tenant review. Yeah, that I have not participated in yet. Yeah. Oh boy, it's like it's in the future, but it already happened. But is your mind blown? <laughs> <laughs> and now you know how Nathan feels about tenant. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't uh, recorded our tenant review yet, as of this recording. But I'm tipping and my I've, hand a little bit, <laughs> and I've not seen it. Right. And yeah. All right. Um. Anyway. So, yeah, Peter Jackson just doesn't feel like he respects you. It doesn't feel like he trusts you. Like, I I don't trust you to be emotional unless I do all these things. And maybe it kind of works for kids because kids aren't as smart and you can't trust them. You have to hold them by the hand a little bit. You have to teach them that two plus two equals four. I, I think there's a degree to which that's true and was true in the case of my kids. I think there's also a degree to which it feels like there's a certain degree to which I appreciated this. It feels like Jackson is saying some of you came here and you were resolved to not cry and to not let yourself feel any of this. (laughs) Screw you. (laughs) And I am going to win. Yep. You will lose. You cannot beat me. Are you there yet? No. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm doubling down. Are you there yet? No. All right, I'm dialing it up even more. Are you there yet? I am coming for you. You Mm -hmm. will break down. It almost feels like like that, like if you came here with a stone heart on purpose, if you thought you could walk out of here with dry eyes, I am going to win. 
Yeah, well, I want to say like the good version, the difference between the good version and the bad version of that is subtle. It's it's just almost the difference. It's just some people can get away with it. You know, we've talked yeah. a lot about Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg is just very charming in the way that he assaults your emotions. If he's, you know, the character that you just betrayed, he's like, hey, aren't you glad that I got you? You didn't want to be gotten, but I got you. And isn't it great? That's Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And there's a difference in the feeling that that gives you as opposed to, I gotcha. Like, yeah. you didn't want to be gotten and I gotcha. Yeah. I think I had one kid who was, listen, I had a 12-year-old boy. Wonderful age for that movie. A wonderful age for Peter Jackson mm-hmm. to be like, is maybe the one person in the whole world that justifies Peter Jackson. Well, being the way he was in that movie. It's like, you thought you were cool. You thought you were too good for this. You thought you were going to crack jokes while everybody else was tearing up. Now lay on your pillow and cry, little 12-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. You should have learned the lesson from Gandalf. You should have heard what Gandalf said. Not all tears are evil. Mm-hmm. I will not say do not weep. Not all tears are evil. You should have learned that lesson and let it hit home. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you could trust me because I beheaded all those orcs and that was cool, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a perfect movie for 12-year-old boys, actually. Kind of, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, and I'm not saying that ironically. I mean, I think it actually is I kind think of. it is, yeah. these, these movies are cast. It's like the things that interested Peter Jackson about Tolkien were the things that a 12-year-old boy <laughs> would be interested in. The things that he wanted to add to Tolkien that t- weren't there were the things that a 12-year-old boy-, boy supplies in his imaginations and sits on his bed and says, if I were making the video game of this, I would. <laughs> exactly. By the way, okay, so, you know, I tuck the boys in and they're crying. I tuck my daughter in, she's crying. I walk out of my daughter's room and then I hear the boys laughing and talking. So I sneak over to listen to what they're talking about. I was like, what is going on? They were just like, not five minutes ago, just like every, each one of them heaving into their pillows. Mm-hmm. They're plotting out the video game that they would design and mm-hmm. that they wish they had. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, it really is the perfect <laughs> movie for boys. I mean, it, it's got just enough substance, just enough stuff to kind of challenge them, just enough characters and emotions, but also a ton of let's knock down an elephant and yeah surf down its trunk surf and down its trunk and beat the crap out of these bad guys and and there's a part of me that really enjoys it it's a part of me that likes the stupid hobbit sequels the the martin freeman movies i mean i i like that stuff i i, I like peter jackson's action do i think it's a good distillation of anything in tolkien no mm-hmm. do i think it's good period not really but mm-hmm. do i have a lot of fun with that stupid barrel scene and the desolation of smaug <laughs> yeah it's 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 fun <laughs> it's stupid i mean it's the same part of me that would enjoy a bad horror movie or a schlocky kung fu movie or something like that but did you watch the extended cut or the regular i watched cut? the theatrical so you didn't get to see old uh Saruman bite it no i didn't no i didn't get to see Saruman bite it i didn't get to see the mouth of sauron at all? Uh-uh. I forgot. It's been so long since I've seen the regular cut. I was anticipating cut. him, and I forgot that he wasn't in it. Yeah, that's that's where these movies started to get really lazy because they knew it's it's the bad thing about director's cuts. I'm not like a huge anti-director's cut guy, but when you start to craft the movie knowing that you can go back and put stuff in so you can leave out major plot points because uh, we can 
just get that in later. I actually understand the impulse. I mean, we've certainly we've we've written ourselves into corners like this where it's like we have in this story a big payoff that we need to do, but also it's in the way of the other things that need to happen at this point. Yeah. So yeah. where do we put it? Do you put it at the end of this one or the beginning of the other one? Or or do you need to change the whole story that you had in mind and change the payoff because you're going a different direction? Yeah, well, if you're wondering why you haven't gotten any uh, new episodes of our story podcast, The Ville, for almost a year, it's because uh, we did that, like... We had a problem like that that was just we had we had a story problem that we and peter jackson was stuck with these story problems like where do you put the death of soromon do you put it at the end it's going to be really anticlimactic at the end of two towers okay well it might make a cool beginning to return of the king but actually return of the king we've moved on we're we're not dealing with this villain anymore mm -hmm. we're all our energy needs to go into setting up the final battle with sauron and yeah. introducing what is this Gondor place and why it is important. And actually, we're never going to be able to successfully do even Tolkien, to my mind, to my way of thinking, Jake doesn't really do a good job of setting up what's so great about Gondor. I think we talked about that on our yeah. bookending episodes. So He's, He spends a lot of time describing it. Yeah. We've got these insurmountable problems. Like, where do you put... That's it? where Jackson wins, actually. I mean, Gondor, Gondor looks cool. Looks cooler than Tolkien described it. In less time. Yeah, I like his Gondor. I hate his Denethor. Yeah, Denethor is the worst. The Denethor in the book, I think I talked about this a little bit with Theoden, either on the bookening or on this very show. I think I retroactively made them seem even more complicated in my mind because I was like, the version that Jackson gives us is so cartoony. They must be really great and complex in the book. But then you go back to the book and they're pretty simple. Yeah, but the take on them is so stupid that I, I don't... Mine is take on Theoden. No, I like his take on Theoden, generally speaking. Yeah, I, I do too. Denethor is just such a bad. When uh, By the way, I don't blame the actor. I don't know. I mean, maybe the actor could have done it. I just think it is so tasteless what Peter Jackson wrote for the character, what he shot for the character, what he chose to use. The fact that they walk in on Denethor and he's just got this big scowl on his face and he's already mad at the world. It, I don't know. I, I think of it as Jack Nicholson syndrome because in the, I don't know if you ever saw The Shining, no. but dad played by Jack Nicholson slowly goes crazy and then he right. comes after his family with an ax. Here's Johnny, all that. Jack Nicholson, Stanley Kubrick famously told him like, this needs to be interesting. This needs to be entertaining. So play it up, act insane, even at the beginning of the movie. And so Jack Nicholson just comes out of the gate kind of foaming at the mouth, really insane, just bringing all his Jack Nicholson talent to playing this crazy character but it just means that there's nowhere for the character to go and you just get like two hours of dad Insanity. being crazy and psychotic whereas if he'd started out like your dad just kind of normal dad and then it would have got it would be a creepier movie oh it'd be a, a much more powerful movie maybe not as entertaining of a one i don't know but denethor has that syndrome where it's like the first time we meet the character he's already borderline dribbling at the mouth there is nowhere for this guy to go he hits the highest pitch. I mean, eventually he's going to, it means that when he does have to go bigger for purposes of the story, he's going to have to go so big that it's ridiculous. He's going to start screaming and then Gandalf's going to hit him in the head and then he's going to yeah. set himself on fire. It's just like, you need to play this guy when we first meet him as a semi-plausible ruler, as mm -hmm. somebody that we could kind of trust. 
that's the first scene. Maybe we only get five scenes and you've got a big movie and a lot of story to tell, but that's the first scene. Scene three, he's starting to crack. And then scene five, he's crazy. But if you're going to have him be this crazy jerk from the very beginning, it's just like, there's nowhere to go. Yeah. And so Jackson, to compensate. Whatever you do, don't give us close-ups of him eating and spilling food all over his face. Oh, I hate that part. It's so... Interspersed with battle. With like, what, what a great metaphor. With, like, with the coral. Uh, like, oh, look at what the 1% do in their literal ivory towers while Faramir's out there dying in the fields. That's yeah, so pretentious and lame and says nothing. And maybe we could talk through this by talking through the different strands. So that's the Gondor, Denethor strand of things. Well, maybe we should cover that part of the world. How do you feel about the Aragorn? Legolas, Gimli side of things. At this point, it's dumb for Aragorn to still have all of his self-doubts. Mm-hmm. He just needs to be ready to assume the throne and ready to go flex his muscles. I don't mind the complexity that they bring earlier in the films, but no, at this but point, a, he's just tired. Better structured me. screenplay would have set up all these problems in Acts 1 and 2 in the first two movies and then only had payoffs. The fact that we're still... Like, oh no, Arwen's dying, and what are you going to do? And is yeah. Elrond going to come through? The fact that we're still now playing. Now we have to with- have, you know, Elrond slow motion present the sword. Oh, yeah, that was lame. It's like, yeah. I mean, I'm glad they cut out Tolkien's cheesy, frankly, silly, like, ten different moments where Aragorn is like, I am the heir of Elendil. Here's my awesome sword. I'm, yeah. I, don't, I don't mind on a structural level. one of them, man. Yeah, exactly. I don't mind leaving it until the end. I, I think it makes sense, but there's got to be a better way to do it. I don't mind at all what we do with Legolas and Gimli. Gimli's relegated to comic relief. But he, ha- he has already been for a whole movie. Yeah, and that's great. That's fine. Let Gimli be comic relief. Legolas, he has his Admiral Akbar moment, and mm-hmm. then he... You know, gets to run around and be awesome and surf an elephant trunk. We That's scored fine. a hit with our shield surfing in the last movie, so now we know we're giving what, you the next cool thing. We know what this character does. They're gonna clap, we and know, they did, and they did. I was yeah. there. Yeah, I was there, Jake, <laughs> a thousand years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you and Elrond. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Uh, the running joke of them keeping count and all that. I, yeah, I like Tolkien. That I mean, that's the example of, I think, a good way that it's, you can do screenwriting. You take something that's in the, you s- select something from the book that's likable and you blow it up a little bit and spread it out so that it can work, put it to work for your movies. That's, that's fine. You should do that. I like what they did with Pippin and Mary in Turn of the King. I think it's their best of yeah, the three, you know, probably. Uh, Mary is all, you know, Pippin picks up the Palantir and then Mary's all like, you idiot. And they have a moment there where they don't think they're going to see each My kids actually started to cry at that. Um, they don't know if they're going to see each other again. Yeah. And then they have, you know, they're both, both get their moments where they grow and. Well, and as cartoony as Jackson can be, I'll give him a little credit for wanting to delineate these characters and make their growth more obvious. You know, I mean, yeah. Pippin and Mary are just kind of there in the books and Jackson. They are comic relief in the books. And then at the end, once you get to- The scouring of the Shire. The scouring of the Shire, you're just supposed to accept, well, they've been through stuff and therefore they've grown and changed. But Jackson Duh. actually wants to- Show a little bit of it, right? Not that he's that tasteful about it, like, but 
No, but he does actually want to try to show it. Yeah, and those actors are good. I mean, they actually track yeah. from the firework shooting hooligans of the first movie to the more serious and grounded. Yeah, uh, and so, and then, you know, he still builds in jokes around them, mm-hmm. but jokes that don't make too much light of them. So, like, my kids loved it when, you know, Arag- Aragorn's given his dumb speech, and then he, it's you know, for Frodo mm-hmm. and he runs off and then Mary and Pippin are just, yeah. And they're like the first two to start charging yep. behind Aragorn. And then we s- sort of slowly see everybody pass them up. Mm-hmm. My kids thought that was awesome. They Good move in the mo- in the movie, by the way, to put both the hobbits there. We don't yeah. need one of them languishing in bed. It, it wouldn't have added anything. Yeah, that was a good move. Runtime. Let them be reunited. Let them be okay. Let them be out there on the field. Mm-hmm put as many of our important pieces in one location as we can. The thing that I would say, the pacing of this movie up until you get six endings or however many there are, the pacing of this movie is really good. Mm -hmm. It keeps you moving. It keeps paying things off. And it doesn't give you a lot of time to ask if the payoffs were really good or what you really wanted. But it generally doesn't sell them short. I would say that the thing, the two places my kids were most disappointed with was where Shelob and the lack of the scouring of the Shire. Well, scouring of the Shire, I have complete sympathy for them being disappointed, and I have complete sympathy for them. I mean, there's no way. Yeah. There's no it way. It could not, it could, yeah. it would have to be another movie. Unless this is like an HBO series where each chapter gets their own episode. One hour episode. One yeah. hour, hour episode. There's there, no there's scour, no yeah. There's no way to narratively stuff that into any kind of conventional screenplay format. So yeah, I'm with you. I, I think it would have been a bad choice for the movie, and also... I'm with the kids on wishing they got to see it somehow, some yeah. way. They were really disappointed with with Shelob and Sam recovering Frodo and all that in the tower. That to them, I think, was just their favorite part. Of the book? Of the book. No, when we read it, it was just such a turning point for Sam, for them. And I think they really felt, I just, I think they really sympathized and connected and related to Sam feeling like an idiot, but just loved Sam going after Shelob. Well, and then they loved, they also thought Sam hamming up the whole great big, I'm a great big elf warrior, you know, I'm coming to kill you, you know, in the shadow and all that. They, they thought that stuff was awesome. But that's just an example of Jackson. Like, why would we do charm and whimsy when we could do brutal violence instead? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> you know? Why would we do something likable or fun? <laughs> I think a lot of that is in Jackson screwing up the payoff. Like he already has Sam be pretty capable in the minds of Moria. You know, I could get used to this and stuff. Like, yeah. Sam's becoming a warrior way too early. So he feels too much in his element, Yeah, I think. Yeah, which is also why, you know, he can get away with the only nod he gives to Sam. I mean, Sam's already, like, almost killed Gollum, like, three times right, exactly. by that point. But, you know, the only nod he gives to, I'm a great elf warrior and I'm coming for you is, you know, the little bit, the shadow and the, Three orcs, mm. ar- fully armed orcs, pause, and then Sam comes into the light and then kills them right. all at the same time. His version of Sam can plausibly just straight up kill three orcs at the same time Yeah, at this point. so Yeah, which takes a lot of the teeth out of that scene, unfortunately. It, it's weird. He actually does with Eowyn what I think he should have done with Sam, which is she, you know, he really doesn't give us Peter, Peter Jackson a lot of 
battle babe cliches like what Black Widow and characters like this, Eowyn is always played as an underdog, as out of her element, as somebody who's just, she she just gets to do some cool stuff. She brings down an oliphant, but basically she's out of her depth the whole time. She really shouldn't be there, which is a weird choice in today's political climate. Also just a weird reading of Tolkien. <laughs> I couldn't really understand what he was thinking with either one of those. I mean, it just seems like he just wasn't thinking like, I'm Peter Jackson, whatever works in the moment. But Sam's assault on the Citadel or whatever is... Disappointing. It's pretty disappointing. I don't remember being that disappointed by Shelob. I mean, she's a suitably big, scary spider. It wasn't Shelob. It was just the whole fight. So they changed it all. So what they they have... Sam half Frodo sends Sam away. That's mm-hmm. another part where they started crying. Sam Frodo sends Sam away. Gollum throws the elven bread over the side. Mm-hmm. They go up. Sam's crying his way down. So they set it up all weird. And then Sam just you don't have that moment of Sam putting on his courage and rage mm-hmm. and blindly just out of love and loyalty to Frodo coming at this monster towards certain death and then getting lucky. Mm -hmm. That's not how it feels. No. And that's what they loved about it. It had this in, I think in the book, it had the same vibe of Sam running into the river at the end of fellowship. And a kid could put themselves in the shoes of Sam more because it's not about being a great warrior. It's just about doing the right having thing. Having the guts to do the right thing in the moment. God smile on you basically. Yeah. And that's just what it was. And that's what they loved about it. And then by an accident of Sam's courage and God's providence, all these orcs are running around scared because obviously there's a an elven warrior about they have to mm-hmm. that they have to be terrified of and Sam's going to play into it and take advantage of it. And they get kicks out of that. They imagine themselves, I did the right thing. God smiled on me. I managed to kill the monster that I should not have been able to kill. And now people are scared of me for no reason. Mm -hmm. And that's a little power trip for a a little hobbit like me. Right. And something maybe I can somehow use to my advantage. All of that was just that that whole feeling, I think, is what they really latched on to. And that whole feeling was gone. Yeah. And Peter Jackson, I, he's a little bit like Zack Snyder in the sense he just doesn't understand that feeling. There's either you're in control and you're awesome and you're a warrior. Or you're powerless and... Bumbling and stupid. Yeah. Those are the two speeds that everyone has. And once you've decided to be courageous and you've picked up your sword, then... Then you're in control and are awesome. And you're awesome and bad guys fall before you, no matter how competent and trained they are. Yeah. And which, how small and... Un- incompetent and untrained you are in yeah. your life. Which gets pretty, it's a trope of all modern action movies especially, but it does get pretty old to see hobbits with soup label ladles and stuff just defeat hordes of orcs. It's like these guys are worse than stormtroopers. What's what's wrong with these? I, I, I know yep. Sauron's not breeding the best and the brightest, but yep. come on. They're better than this, I would hope. Well, let's see. I alluded a little bit to old Eowyn. What do you think about her I sort of thought she's one of the places where reading the books did the least recently, which we did for the bookening, did the least favors because Awen's an interesting character in the books. She's sort of cold and broken and weird and wild. And it make it really makes sense when she's having a conversation with Faramir and he's like, she's like, you've tamed the wild woman of the whatever. Like, it's like, yeah, that 
that needed to happen. But this Aowen just seems like kind of a nice lady. It's one of those places where you, I think that as screenwriters and directors, they were backed into in between a rock and a hard place. Because what I feel myself thinking is, actually, you need to make a Tom Bombadil decision here. Because if you're going to tell Eowyn's story, you've got to tell all of Eowyn's story. And three movies that are actually about the Hobbits Mm -hmm. aren't going to give you the space to tell all of Eowyn's story. There's barely space in the novels to tell her story. Yeah, and we devote this whole chapter to it after in the almost postscript that feels it's a great little chapter in and of itself and it's got good stuff in it and I'm glad for it to exist. But it's also like the fact that it exists that way is kind of a mess. Yeah, it it feels like a it's boring and it stops things cold. It's, it's a good chapter yeah. in and of itself, but. It's a nice little postscript. It's like if you would have saved it for the afterward, mm-hmm. you know, where yeah. you tie up the loose ends of what happened to Faramir and Eowyn and. You know, whoever else need, needs their loose ends tied up. Right. Tell us a little bit about Gandalf's mind conversation and tell us about Gimli and Legolas going to visit the mine and the forest of Fangorn together. And right. Tell us about how Faramir tamed Eowyn and melted her cold, cold heart. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's hard. One, you still have to be able to kill the Witch King. And you can't remove the one potent woman from the story nobody's gonna let you get away with that right no especially in a story with zero other interesting female characters exactly so what do you do i I just don't you think they did their best they could yeah i just don't know what you do i i like the actress i think she does what she can i think they do what they can i i really think if there was ever a place for a trope that i hate which is the battle-hardened woman warrior you know if there was ever a place for a woman who could just take care of business it might be this character so i do find it a very strange choice that they have her out of her depth for so much of the time and that this actress however good she is at the acting part of things isn't a particularly convincing warrior even when she means to be like when she chops off the head of that dragon thing it kind of looks weird and then she does that stupid scream before she stabs the Witch King. We haven't actually leaned into what we could have in terms of the feminism here. Like, we could have made a much more competent, awesome woman character here. We chose not to do that for some reason, I guess, because intuitively we knew that that would be unsympathetic, which it it is in the book, until you retroactively hang out with her and Faramir and realize why you should have some sympathy for her. Yeah. They didn't just want to make a ice princess, but... I don't know what I'm saying, except for I guess I agree with you. It's kind of an impossible. Yeah, it just feels impossible to me. I, I love the Witch King. I think he's a well, one of Peter Jackson's more well-realized villains, but it makes that whole showdown kind of weird. Although I do love the way that he crumples up after she stabs him. Oh, I should say, what I thought, I've probably talked about this before, but this is the movie where it really becomes a plot point. The idea that the Eye of Sauron... I mean, we all take it for granted now because we're so used to these movies, but it's a big, stupid, flaming eye, eye on top of a tower. That works as a spotlight. That works as a spotlight, not just in some metaphysical way looking for Frodo, but is actually looking all around. What a stupid, thuddingly literalist interpretation of mm-hmm. the eye of Sauron. I mean, what a cool conceit. Like, the eye of Sauron is on us and Frodo 
feels himself unveiled before the eye. Like it's some of the most powerful stuff in Tolkien, but then to reduce it to a giant flaming eyeball. Far off, the shadows of Sauron hung, but torn by some gust of wind out of the world, or else moved by some great disquiet within, the mantling clouds swirled and for a moment drew aside, and then he saw rising black, blacker and darker than the vast shades amid which it stood, the cruel pinnacles and iron crown of the topmost tower of Barad-dûr. One moment only it stared out, but as from some great window immeasurably high there stabbed northward a flame of red, the flicker of a piercing eye. And then the shadows were furled again in the terrible vision. That's from book six of The Return of the King. I mean, I That's guess... the only description of it. And then here's a... This is on lotr.fandom.com. Portrayal and adaptations. In Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings film trilogy, the great eye is a gigantic eyeball composed of energy. That's its top bar door. It's really dorky. Especially when he destroys the ring and the eye is like looking around and it's kind of scared and then it falls off the tower and explodes. It's we have reduced Satan, this unseen figure of evil, to the stupidest whatever. I mean, I don't even mind when Frodo puts on the ring in the earlier movies and he suddenly sees an eye of fire. I don't mind mm-hmm. it as a symbol, but yeah. to actually make it like, that's Sauron. That's what he looks like. That is him. He's he, just an eye. He's an eye. Peter Jackson, you have no taste, dude. You yeah. thought that we, you, I know what went through your head. You said we have to have a physical form of the villain because people need to know what the villain looks like because people are babies and they won't understand what we're fighting for unless we actually see the bad guy so there he is he's a big scary flaming eye what else is there to say about this movie i think the other major criticism i remember it's grown on me over the years but when i first saw this movie the battle of pelinor fields did feel like it went on forever and it just got to be laughable like this army is going to show up and change the tide and then this army and then another army. like how many different surprise armies can we have and jackson actually adds i mean i guess they're probably all in tolkien but he makes such big moments out of each one it's like here come the elephant guys and you know here come these guys and now here come the rohirrim and oh the rohirrim weren't enough and now here come aragorn there's like how many different versions of the same either catastrophe or you catastrophe do we need to see honestly i felt the same thing reading the books so yeah that's true but in the books it's like two pages or something like that. That's true. I, I do like some of Peter Jackson's action. I think that Oliphant attack is pretty cool. I don't know about Legolas running up and taking one down single-handedly, but when they kind of do their version of the ATT walker kind of thing and mm-hmm. they're all throwing spears at the legs and stuff, that stuff's yeah. pretty powerful. I, I Aim for the head. Aim for the head, yeah. That's fun. I, I wish Peter Jackson had the good sense to always keep his camera on the ground because I think the special effects look so much dumber when... I've said this before, when the camera's like swirling around, it's like, well, there's mm-hmm. some CGI cartoon elephants. But when we're on the ground with Amur and some of these characters and they're looking up and these creatures are looming behind them, it's pretty impressive. It is confirmed that Sauron has a body. Like just a, like he's a humanoid kind of form. Yeah. At some point, Gollum mentions him having only four fingers on his hand. Harold's call on him. He, the appendices talk about him taking shape in Dol Guldur, and Tolkien explicitly talks about Sauron having a body in the Third Age in his letters. When talking about a potential confrontation with Aragorn, Tolkien says, quote, Sauron should not be thought of as very terrible. Or no, Sauron should be thought of as very terrible. That makes more sense than what I said. <laughs> the form that he took was that of a man of more than human stature, but not gigantic. 
The eye is a symbol and represents his great sight, which appears to be both prophetic, also elvish. Like he can also just see really far and likes to sit in his tower. Right. Well, that makes a lot more sense then. And gives you a lot of evocative imagery. Like, I I wouldn't mind if we just saw little glimpses of a black figure in a tower or something like that. I think there are ways you could... I think the best thing to do is just to keep him off screen and let him be in people's imagination. But second best is to find little ways to almost show him. But worst, definitely worst, is to have him personified. He's a he's just a flaming eye. Yeah. Hokey. <sighs> so you got the big battle, you got the final battle. Folo, fo- Folo, what's the gif with Aragorn? FOMO, fear of missing out. YOLO. YOLO, that's what it is. He says YOLO, and then he runs. Peter Jackson made a choice to not have Gollum dance, but have him and Frodo duke it out. Yep. Because, once again, brutal violence, always better than anything with any kind of whimsy or... Any kind of moral or parable to Mm -hmm. it. I mean, I think I remember seeing that they actually had a version where Frodo basically just threw Gollum in, and the audience rejected it. You don't say. I wonder why. (laughs) So they had to go back and actually make it a little bit. They didn't chose to just, they didn't do what they should have done, which is to just have Gollum fall in by himself, but they at least made it not exactly Frodo's fault. I mean, I I, I actually, I remember before the movie came out wondering how they were going to do that because it is a weird thing to try and imagine or visualize and make Mm -hmm. not stupid him dancing around and falling in. But they made Gollum the kind of person that can just sort of spastically dance. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd make a little bit of the ledge crumble and call it good. Yeah, I think that would work. He grabs the ring. He he dances around like a freak. and Yeah, there'd need to be a rumble or a crumble or something. What I don't think you could quite do is have him pull a wily coyote and just dance off, dance the, off the edge. Which is basically... Look, look down, look at the camera. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wave, Hold up the little wave. sign that says yipes. <laughs> yipes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that sounds awesome. Uh, by the way... We skipped this, and I want to ask, what do you think about deciding to open with Gollum's backstory? Oh, uh, yeah, we should not have skipped that. I am not necessarily crazy about the execution. Don't need to see those teeth chomping into that fish. Don't always love Andy Serkis as a non-CGI performer, but conceptually, I love it. I think it's pretty great to circle back and I think it's the right place for it. I always like that. Um, is it Endgame? The second Avengers movie of the final two, starting with the little Hawkeye story with his family disappearing. Oh, yeah. Pre-credits. Yeah. I like the sort of let's circle back and see what this all means. It can be, it's been overdone maybe in recent years and it can be done poorly. It can be done cheesily, but I like it as a concept. And I think it's fun that all three movies. I think it's a weirdly tasteful thing for Peter Jackson to have all three movies start differently. The first one starts with kind of a big battle scene. The second one starts in what was a very surprising way at the time, circling back to that Gandalf scene and then following the Balrog down the pit. Mm -hmm. And then to start the third one with, okay, we've earned your trust. We don't have to give you a slam buying action scene. Here's some shadings on a character and some, Here's a visualization of something you already know, but something that you need to connect to emotionally. I like it. I don't know. Do you have strong feelings one way or another? Do you not like it? No, I'm not a huge fan of it. I I don't know what I would do instead. 
you know what I think I felt watching it? It's not that I don't like that sort of thing, but I think that what I wished was that the tone would have been set a more epic tone maybe. Yeah, which is what the first two beginnings do. Yeah. But well, it's actually a pretty good argument for why you should put the Soromon scene back in because then you can have a really big climactic moment with the bad guy getting his comeuppance mm-hmm. happen immediately after which I think probably plays better than how it is now, which it takes forever to mm-hmm. get to the the epic stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you open with Saruman, like I I forget all the details of how Jackson did it, but but if you opened with uh, Saruman in the dark, mm-hmm. chanting and conjuring and walking out and speaking, that would be awesome. And holding people captive mm-hmm. and winning Gandalf. Rising up and breaking his staff. You could go any number of directions from there. That would have been great. I will say I like it on the broadest conceptual level what they do. I don't mind starting that way. But what I like about what you just said is that it actually ties into the movie. It's weird that we're starting with a let's paint Gollum in scene when this isn't really Gollum's movie. The last movie was Gollum's movie. Yeah. And we knew everything we needed to know and connected as much as we ever needed to emotionally. Actually, Gollum's been reduced to a thug in this movie. Yep. And so you could argue, I guess, that it helps to see him sympathetically one last time. But really, I think that died at the end of the last movie, the way they've structured it. We don't need sympathetic Gollum anymore. He's just Sam's adversary. He spends the whole movie leading them to Shelob. Yeah. Yeah, this is not necessary. Yeah, but I do like a little bit of that calm before the storm vibe. Like if you did the Soromon scene, the way that you just pictured it, I think is great because you could actually just start in the dark with him and it could be sort of subdued. Yeah. And then he could walk out into epicness. So there you go. You pitched a better movie than what Peter Jackson had in mind. It was so hard. Yeah, it was really hard. Well, and the funny thing is you pitched a movie that would play to Peter Jackson's strengths because probably what we'd get would be a big light show between the two wizards. We wouldn't get anything like crafty dialogue where he's seducing them. Yeah. We'd never get that in a million years, especially not at the beginning of a movie where we have to get everybody's attention. I don't know why Peter Jackson didn't just give us the light show. Anyway, gosh, I don't know. Because he didn't want to come. Well, never mind. I think he just didn't want to spend any more time on Saruman. I think Saruman isn't the point of this movie. And I understand that actually. Or any more money on Christopher Lee. Or any more money on Christopher Lee. Except they'd already had Christopher Lee. I mean, they'd already shot that stuff. Yeah, but if they shot it for Two Towers and then used it for Return of the King, then maybe contractually they didn't have to... That could be. ...do too much. But it, that this would be crafting a new scene to open your film. Yeah, that's true. You already got Andy Circus under contract. Yeah, it's a weird... They should have just put it at the end of Two Towers. I think what if I was going to do these movies, what I would do is I would take all the set pieces of Tolkien. There's about a dozen of them. I would just make a chart. Like we'd put it on the whiteboard and we would say, here's where each of these set pieces falls chronologically. Where do they need to fall in terms of being satisfying in the movie? Mm-hmm. And we'd... Have hey, to- hey, here's, where the, here's where they fall in the timeline of the movie. Here's where they fall in... Tolkien storytelling. Mm-hmm. And now we've got to find our third way here. Right. And I think the third way, my third way would be, let's be as ruthless as possible about putting these set pieces where they need to go. Emotionally. The, emotionally. 
and structurally and in, in, in a movie form. And then let's build around that and let's be willing to destroy as much or, or rebuild as much as we need to to get characters here or to like I actually think in a weird way Tolkien fans would be more impressed by that because they'd get all the big scenes that they remember and they love and the scenes would hit with the emotions that they're supposed to and if they had to put up with like five warg attacks just to make these characters not make it over there until that thing needed to happen I think that they'd be much happier with that than denying them the set pieces or having Faramir, Theoden, Frodo, and everybody else behave like a jerk in order to Mm-hmm. not get to the right place at the time we didn't say it earlier but i do want to say i hate frodo sending sam away i get you can justify that he's a ring junkie at this point so he's going to do it i do not buy sam leaving for one second i don't mm-hmm. think that they earn that i don't think that you can spend two movies having somebody as naturally sympathetic as sean Aston play loyal and then do anything to ever justify him not punching Frodo out and carrying him over his shoulder at that moment. Sam doesn't walk down those stairs in and tears. And leave him to Gollum's devices. That's not the Sam of the book. Certainly, it's also not the Sam of the movie. There's no version except for crazy plot contrivance Sam that does that. Just don't buy it at all. Even within Frodo being a junkie, it's a pretty big ask for this breadcrumb thing to mm-hmm. be taken seriously. As loyal as Sam is at this point. Yeah. And They've already had the conversation about rationing for uh, the return trip and Frodo's had to encourage Sam to eat. Yeah. Okay. Frodo, Frodo in this version is a Smeagol apologist, but still, we're going to trust the creepy frog man or the most loyal person in all of middle in all that we've ever met. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, those are a lot of random thoughts. Is there anything else to say? I'm not sure I have that much more to say about this movie. I think your kids are right. It is basically effective. It's also, for me personally as an adult, kind of boring at this point. I think I've seen it enough to, in my life to get the fun stuff out of it and not a lot of nutrition or taste left in the rest of it. Will I show it to my kids, Lord willing, someday? Sure, but... That'll be for their sake, not for mine. I don't I don't need to like sit down and watch this with my wife at the end of a long day or something like that. I don't know. I would infinitely rather go back to any of the Harry Potter movies, maybe, which I don't think are great, but they're all interesting and well cast and kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I'd rather go back to The Hobbit. I'd way rather watch one of The Hobbit movies, honestly, because they're dumb trash, but they're kind of fun. I have no interest in ever seeing those again. Well, the good things about those is that I don't have to take them seriously. Like this is going to ask enough of me that I don't really want to give much to it at this point in my life. Whereas the Hobbit is just like, ah, it's a Legolas. He's spider surfing now. Oh, and he's barrel surfing. Now he's (laughs) running up those stones as they fall. It's awesome. (laughs) Is it though? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's really dorky and sad. (laughs) That's uh, Orlando Bloom <laughs> getting a paycheck. That's <laughs> uh, oh, Peter Jackson making a movie f- for incels. Well, yeah, basically. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, I don't know. Anything else you want to say about this? I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. I've said before, and you've not liked me saying this, but I've said before I'm just ready for 
somebody to remake the Lord of the Rings with a completely different perspective and give us not Jackson's Middle Earth. I think I could get behind that at this point. I mean, I'm tired of remake culture. I am not excited about this new Batman movie, for example, not because it doesn't have its points maybe, but because I just don't want another Batman. I want some space between Batmans. I love Star Wars, but I want some space between Star Wars. I'm glad that Disney's slowing down a little bit. Like, I want the time to digest some of this IP. So, I think you've last, the first time you ever said that to me, we were in the era of the Hobbit movies, probably, or I mean, that might have been like five or six years ago. Oh, really? uh, Yeah, actually, I remember when you, I don't know why I remember this, but I think we were driving home from having seen The Hobbit Part Two Desolation of Smaug. Oh. And that's probably true. In that era, I think I was loath to picture anything else just because yeah, I do like the iconography of Jackson's Middle Earth. I would love to see a more talented director, you know, tell a story set inside this Rivendell, this Shire. You know, I like the way it looks. I like the way it feels. I like Howard Shore's music. I like Howard Shore's music. Uh, we haven't really talked much about that, but it's maybe the last gra- gasp of like the great john williams-esque orchestral scores that (laughs) one of my sons just kept saying out loud it's like this music is designed to make me cry (laughs) (laughs) you have spoken the truth my son (laughs) (laughs) indeed it's like that is it (laughs) wow what a thought (laughs) i mean there is something quaint about a movie where you can walk away from having seen it the first time humming yeah, a half dozen melodies, and that is yeah. what Lord of the Rings is the last movie that I remember doing that. Now, I'm not saying that Avengers doesn't have a good little theme, and there aren't themes that are fun in movies, but I defy you to go see Doctor Strange and walk away humming not just the Doctor Strange theme, but also the Doctor Strange love theme and the Doctor Strange bad guy theme. And I can hum Tenet, and I've not even seen it. Oh, yeah? I wonder what that sounds like. Womp, womp, womp. Hey, you know you want to know what my favorite line of dialogue in Tenet was? What's that? It was womp. Oh, man. Yeah, we do soundscapes these days. We don't do theme as much, which makes me very sad. Christopher Nolan's going to be Christopher Nolan. Yeah. respect the man who's committed to being... You know what? I don't mind Christopher Nolan being Christopher Nolan. I wish everybody else didn't have to be Christopher Nolan. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, do we point. all have to do bomb? <laughs> I mean, it works. It puts your teeth on edge. It makes you feel your insides feel knotted up, which I guess is a feeling that we are so dead to any feeling or emotion or happiness or joy or anything in today's modern age that we pay 11 bucks for someone to make our insides feel knotted up with a super loud anyway folks you can either go back and listen to our tenant review or look forward to listening to it in the future and once again doesn't that blow my your your mind that i'm talking about something that's in the past and yet it hasn't even happened in my timeline isn't that like is your mind blown by that my mind's blown yeah well jake you're gonna love tenant then (laughs) my mind was blown tomorrow whoa that's insane man that's a deep and because I've never seen a single episode of Star Trek, I'm really impressed by that conceit. Um, 
<laughs> tipping my hand a little bit. Or I'm tipping the hand that I already gave in the old episode. See, it's all, it's, it's like it's, it's like a palindrome, man. It's looping back on itself. Anyway, Lord of the Rings, yay. This podcast was produced by me. It was executive produced by Jake and me. Uh, do support us at patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies, as we said earlier. And until next time. Well, I'm back.